We're going to dig in this morning here in Luke chapter 1, which Tom signed for us and read for us this morning. That's our opening text. I would like to read it again um, just to, to refresh us, if you would all please stand, and then we're going to take a look at what it is the Lord has for us today. Luke records for us, now while, we were, now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled. When he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And when you, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, as we circle around your word, teach us what we need to know today. Show us the things that we don't normally see and help us to grow into those areas that we are a little bit frightened to step into, but we know that that's where you are calling us to go. And it's for Jesus' sake I ask these things. Amen. What I want us really to be looking at this morning as we dig into this text, one that we usually look at every Christmas time, um, depending on the calendar that you follow. I want us to see that long-term faithfulness in one direction will always put you in the right place to be used by God no matter what your position is, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you may be. See, we started this year, and it's already almost over, amazingly enough. I discover the older I get, the 60 seconds in a minute and the 60 minutes in an hour seem to go by a lot quicker than not. Um, but there you have it. We started this year looking at God's story in the five-act play, the creation, the fall, the covenants, the new covenants, and new creation. And we looked at 10 and the, the Ten Commandments, and we spent a great deal of the first half of this year wrestling through those things. But you see, his story, God's story, is the story of creation. It's the story of covenantal promises that are given to people. It's also a story of exile, where the people of Israel are constantly put away because of the things that they're doing. But it's also the story of the Exodus moments, where in their learning and in their understanding and what it is they're supposed to do, God calls them back home. Throughout history, we see this over and over and over again. You see, Adam and Eve exiled from the paradise in the garden because of their foolish choices that they made. And then as you continue on in that story, the years of darkness as, worlds, as the world itself spins seemingly completely out of control and chaos rules the day, right up until the time of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And then after that, we have Abraham and we have Sarah, two people well past their prime in childbearing years. They're given this covenantal promise that a child, it sounds an awful lot like the story we're going to dig into this morning, the covenantal promise that that child that is going to be brought to them will come to them through this, and through him the seed would come who would deliver all of the nations. God's plan is moving forward through people. We read about Joseph in Genesis. According to the purposes of God, as unsettling as this is, he is sent into exile by his own brothers. 
by his own brothers. Yet he delivers not only that region from complete and total famine, but rescues his family as they journey down into Egypt to get food. What started out as a rescue mission for Joseph's father and his entire family, according to the covenantal promises of God, turned into the exile of the people of Israel for some 450 years. Until, the Bible tells us, the prayers of the people of God were heard and Moses was raised up and called to deliver them out of slavery. That great exodus that defines the people of Israel to this very day, Exodus chapter 12, it occurs. They're taken out of Egypt and they are called his people and his covenant promises continue through his people, active agents in his plan. Once again, in the midst of it all, what happens? The people rebel. They end up in exile again. They find themselves, you know, after a thousand years or so in their land, they're being sent away. They find themselves in Babylon. And the echoes of God's promises to deliver them are being heard through the readings and the words of the prophets that aren't written on the subway walls, nor are they written on the tenement halls, but they are written in the scrolls that they have that are now read not in the temple, but are taught in the synagogues, those little communities that they established in and throughout the culture that they found themselves in that was not theirs. They had to figure out a way in which they could worship, and thus the synagogues. And men like Daniel, however, we see leave us examples as we look at that particular story of how it is God's people are to live faithfully in a culture that is in absolute conflict with God's story. It's an encouraging thing for us all as we take a look at it through the Bible. The decree of Cyrus that we took a look at last week because this journey is purposeful. The decree of Cyrus, as we learned last week, was the last word recorded for the people of Israel in the histories in Second Chronicles as the covenant promise fulfilled by God to his people through this pagan king. They would be going home after 70 plus years in exile. But once again, an exodus home as recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah is shown for us so that we can learn. And we can remember, restored again. The covenant promises of a faithful God are fulfilled and they are written down for us to be able to remember. Malachi, the words that I just read here as we opened, uh, the prophet records the very last prophetic words that the people of Israel would hear for four, before 400 years of silence. The words of God no longer came to the prophets as they had when the Old Testament was being written. It didn't come to the priests or to the people except through the reading of God's word. When they were in the temple or when they were in the synagogues, wherever it is, they had the scrolls. Every single thing they were reading was pointing forward, pointing forward to the covenantal promises that God would deliver his people once again from the exile that they actually were in. You see, they were back in their land. They understood that. They had the ability to worship and to go up the temple once, twice, three times a year. They understood that as well. But they weren't free. They were not a free people. They had foreign overlords from the day that they got back. And they had ruled over them since the return from Babylon. And God had promised that they would be delivered and freed from their exile. But nothing. Nothing for 400 years except the sounds of silence. Until a very cool autumn morning, as was the custom, the priests serving at the temple, they heard the call to worship. 
The horns would blow and they understood that it was time to get up and to go. Just as all the people in the city would hear these things echoing around the hills, they would gather both the priests and the people who were in the city and they would go to their own areas for their daily morning rituals of prayer. And in the case of the priests, they would get their daily assignments allotted to them. Little did anyone know that morning, that morning that things were about to change because the fullness of time was finally upon the people of Israel. And it was the third lot that was cast that morning that was most important. You see, because each assignment was issued in exactly that way. Lots were cast, and the first one was for the refreshing of the fire on the altar. A lot was cast, the priest was chosen, they were sent in to restoke up the fire. The second was the sacrifice that was to be offered that day, done in the very early hours of the morning, just as dawn would begin to break and the horns would start and people would be called to prayer. I mean, put that picture in your mind. Put that picture in your mind. A cool, crisp autumn morning here in the North Country in Vermont. I mean, you can just paint that picture. You roll out of bed in the quietness of the day in the cool, crisp morning, and a bit of fog rolls out over the hills, and you take a look at the wood stove in the living room, and what do you find? Just coals on the fire because it's been sitting all night. First order of business for the day is what? Stoke up the fire so that the house is warm. You see, we are dealing with real people in real time, doing the real simple mundane things of life every single day, and for a lifetime it seems. And yet this day's different because the sacrifice was prepared according to the rules and before the worshipers were all let in, that golden bowl that had the altar or the water for the altar had to be prepared. The sacrifice was made ready in the same way it had been made ready every day for as long back as they could remember in order that they would be obedient to the covenant commands of God. Then the third lot was cast. And that was the lot which would choose the one who would enter into the holy place with the new incense for the morning for the altar. And in and amongst that crowd of priests who were standing in that temple area where the priests were supposed to be was an old man by the name of Zechariah. Faithfully serving for a lifetime as a priest. Luke tells us that while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Right place, right time. The day-to-day faithfulness of the tasks that he was given, Zechariah finds himself again right in the right place and in the right time to be used by God. To be chosen by lot may only happen once in a lifetime. In fact, more often than not, you as a priest were only chosen once in an entire lifetime of service, chosen by lot to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And you see, for Zechariah at this point, it is probably his mid to late 60s that he finds himself in. Verse 7 tells us here in this chapter that both he and his wife Elizabeth were well along in years. Well advanced, they say. And tradition in the Jewish culture was that any person that had reached the age of at least 60 years old was considered advanced. So we can know for sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth were a minimum of 60. More than likely, they were in their mid-60s. But, you know, let's take encouragement in that because today we're told that 60 is the new 50. And because I'm headed towards 50, that means 50 is the new 40. So really, I'm only about 20. It's all new math, you know. <laughs> two and two isn't four anymore. But anyway. So here, here Zechariah finds himself. The lot falls on him. 
He's to be the one who gets to go into the holy place and change the incense on the altar with the new ones. Been waiting his entire life for this. It's a joyful task and one that he was honored and frightened all at the same time to be able to fulfill because that's what he had been waiting for. That's what priests do. That's what those who serve at the altar do. He was joyful because he'd been chosen by God. That's what they considered the lots to be done for. Frightened because he didn't want to make a mistake. Because as any human being knows, a lifetime of faithfulness can be absolutely destroyed by one little mistake. If you don't believe that, just, you know, spend a lifetime of faithfulness and then just do something absolutely silly for a nanosecond and you will be remembered forever as the person who did that one goofy thing. So it was on that day when all were gathered there. Luke tells us that the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And I think it's important for us to note again, as I always do, that prayer is absolutely critical in the life of the believer and in any endeavor that God puts us on. Now, there's absolutely nothing to say here in this beautiful passage that God responded simply because of their prayers. But nor does it say anywhere to us that he would have done so had they not been praying. That's important for us to understand, you see, because in the purposes and plans of God, he operates in his sovereignty because he is God. Yet it is very clear in the scriptures that we have a responsibility within his sovereignty when he calls us and he tells us that we're supposed to do something. He does not operate absent our involvement. This is why it's so important that you understand you aren't saved to get out of here, although that will be the end game. We are called with a purpose. God operates more often than not in and through his faithful people. And Zechariah found himself to be that way. His church, God's church, active in this world, living out his story in a lost culture and in the midst of chaos, we are his active agents moving his rescue mission forward. He didn't leave us here behind to eat bonbons and drink hot cocoa. We have tasks. Whatever God gives you to do, do with all your heart as unto the Lord, Paul tells us. See, here's Zechariah, that righteous priest, along with his wife, would be just one of those people for what was about to break open on God's waiting world. He'd been waiting his entire life for this. And all of a sudden, God is suddenly there, and he's going to be used. We have to remember this, if we remember nothing else, that God could do anything, any way that he wanted to, any way he wished throughout the history of mankind. And in his goodness and in his love towards humanity, he chooses you and he chooses me to be a part of his story, to bring about the message of Jesus in this world. Now, he could have done it any way he wanted. Frankly, I think sometimes he probably should have done it different than he has because even in my best of days, come up a little bit short. But yet here we are. We are to be part of his story. And this notion and this truth, when it happens, set Zechariah completely on his heels. Because after all, not only is it not every day that you get to enter into the holy place to burn these incense, even more rare is it that there's an angel who shows up to join you. This isn't a Monday night meatloaf night where you know who's going to be there. But there's something we have to understand about the scriptures. It is in the mundane and the holy moment, the mundane The same every single day thing that a priest does. It is in the mundane and the holy moment of Zechariah walking in toward the altar with the incense. His task was to simply place it on the altar, say his prayers, and slowly back out of the room. 
making sure he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't get zap fried right there in the holy place and they had to pull him out because he upset the Lord. But that wasn't to be for this man well advanced in years. No, there appeared to him, Luke tells us, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, can you imagine that? it's, It's a great story, but this is real people, real time. Let's think on this for a minute. As you can imagine, he becomes just a little bit unsettled. I mean, you're all alone in your house, completely alone in your house, and you walk into the room in your house thinking that there's nobody else there, and in fact, you know with certainty that there's no one in the house, and all of a sudden, you step into the living room and you hear your name, Michael. That's unsettling. How would you respond? Scream. Shake. I would probably jump about eight feet off the floor because I'm a jumpy person. I would probably scream. Um, Then one of my kids would come out from behind the couch laughing. But Zachariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. You understand why that would be the case. It is a beautiful story. I don't think we could write this if we wanted to. This is, this is just good stuff. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. But your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So far, so good. No, so far not so good, actually. It's easy for you to say not to be afraid there, Mr. Angel Buddy. You're the angel, I'm the old guy. I got one task, bring the incense in, put it on the altar, say my prayers and I leave. And I hear you are, you show up. This is completely and totally unexpected. Completely unexpected, to which I wrestled with this week in my studies, and I wrote in my notes that this is actually the key. In my mind, as we look at this, this is actually the key. And why do I say that? Because of what the angel has said here. He says to Zechariah, the same thing that God or the angel always says to the people of Israel when God's about to do something, your prayer has been answered. Why then is it a surprise that this guy shows up? Your prayer has been answered. There is no other narrative, no other story in all of history that can be found of any deity answering prayer in this way or showing up in this way. Say nothing of even listening to the gibberings of human beings, all these false gods as it were. Yet here is this old priest, faithful, faithful as can be, and it seems clear, very prayerful for a child. Now, why do I say that? Well, again, look at what the angel says in the text that Luke gives us. Your wife will have a son. It's all right there. I'm here because your prayer has been answered. And your prayer is that your wife wants a son and you want a son. I'm going to tell you that God is going to give you a son. And I don't think that this is a small thing. Once again, coming back to that prayer piece, prayer when given to God is always answered. Whenever you give a prayer to God, it is always answered. The problem with that is that it is not always answered how we like. It is not always answered the way we like. Nor is it answered in the time frame that we expect and demand. But we need to remember that in the scriptures, whenever people pray, God answers. That is an established Truth. Can't get away from that. It's seen from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The only prayers that are not answered by God are the ones that are not prayed. Those are the only ones that aren't answered. You see, Elizabeth 
had been without a child, and I think it seems very safe to say here that she was without a child because of God's providence. He had chosen not to give her a child yet. But she will now bear a son. It also seems very safe to say to me that it is in accordance with God's purposes and his plan. The world saw her as barren. The Lord saw her as not ready yet because I have a plan for her. So in his sovereignty, the prayers were answered. Faithful prayer and long views of history bring results every single time. We either believe God is sovereign over all, or we are left with the absolute goofy notion that life itself is just a random chain of chance events that occur because of all of the choices that we make every single day we get up. Sheer blind luck and a roll of the dice will put us where it is we need to be. That isn't the picture of chaos. I don't know what is. That is not God's story. That is not his story. From Genesis with Abraham and Sarah, another couple well beyond their years of childbearing and perceived usefulness because of age. And that's another thing that needs to be looked at. God's promises come to pass. You see, it seems in the Bible anyway that age is not a definer of usefulness. Age is not a definer of usefulness. Nor is it simple luck that these things happen to people seen by the culture as beyond their useful years. You see, with Abraham and Sarah, as with Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth thought that they were beyond their years of usefulness, at least as it related and mattered to them, and that in the issue of being able to have a child. God, it seems, is in the business of using just such people to bring about his plan. Whether you are incredibly old or whether you are incredibly young, God has a purpose and he has a plan you. See, this is one of the big struggles for older folks especially, and I say this very reverently, that as, as things move much faster than they ever have, much faster in the last 10 or 12 years than they ever have, we are going by quantum leaps forward. It's very unsettling. It's very unsettling. You feel passed by, left behind, and no longer useful because there's just things that we do today that would never even been on the map even 10 years ago. The comfort and the routine and the sameness in things isn't there anymore. And that can be and is unsettling. Moving forward into a culture that isn't what you operated in the majority of your life is very unsettling. It's very unsettling. Again, I I mean, I look at this thing here and you think that it's been here forever. It has barely been 10 years since a smartphone that makes us all dumb was created. I love the thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it's been a a short 10 years that it's been here. Before then, you had that goofy thing attached to a wall. Take you eight minutes to dial a number. But within 10 years, we've gone farther than we had in the last 500. So it's unsettling, especially if you grew up not having this stuff. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are about to have a life-changing experience of that magnitude, one that will take them out of their routine of life, away from what has been a day-to-day ritual of very steady, same exact things, day after day after day after day, faithfully serving God, nothing ever changing. Luke tells us that they were both faithful to their duties, going along every single day before God, praying and performing, praying and performing, just as had been the case for all the priests for hundreds of years. Nothing at all changed until today. Until today. 
the words of C.S. Lewis, Aslan is on the move. You see, they had not given up. They had not given up and God had heard them. And his time for them was upon them. And that is comforting to me. Transitions bring challenges every single time. And challenges can and they often do make us feel completely out of sorts. Again, especially for those who are more wise than those of us who are not. The older folks among us. You see, God's story is that this son of theirs is to be the one that Malachi had spoken of. Not only are you going to just have a boy, you're going to have the boy. He will bring joy to them, as we see in verses 14 to 16. You will have joy and gladness, and many will receive or rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. You see, the Holy Spirit will have this boy even before he's born. And his life is going to be marked out already in his mother's womb as a called one and a sent one. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, he continues in verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. This boy who hasn't even been conceived yet, God already has a purpose and a plan for him to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's a beautiful thing. Not only are you going to have a son when you're just this old, old guy, but he's going to be the one that heralds mine. That should have been settling, but this, as frightening as it seems, needed to be a comfort and must have been a comfort for Zechariah. He questioned. Right? We can't get around that. Zechariah questioned. He did. But he didn't question the promise. Do you notice that? He didn't question the promise. Rather, he questioned the means by which this is going to happen. I'm an old geezer. This, this doesn't work. We don't live in a culture where mid-60s people have children. He didn't question the promise, but the means. I'm old. Of all people who should have known about Abraham and Sarah, it should have been this guy. He's a priest, for goodness sakes. He's 60-something years old. Abraham and Sarah should have jumped right to the front of his brains. That's God's story. You got a 100-year-old dude, a 90-year-old lady. Okay, not a problem, right? No, that's not how he does. He shouldn't have doubted God's ability to do these things. After all, he knew this story. He knew it. You see, fear comes when we don't trust what it is God tells us or when we become unsure with what it is he puts before us. Or even worse, we aren't wanting to step into that new thing because we're comfortable where we are. Or, most importantly, when we step outside of this story and we become unhinged and unanchored and start believing anything and everything that comes our way. not the way it's supposed to work. You see, because he should have understood that God, who has always shown his faithfulness and ability to do all he says he promises to, is the one who is going to give him this son. Abraham and Sarah were older than Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, come on, really? And yet from them came who? Isaac. Isaac. The promised child who would come from a woman in her 90s. I can't even imagine that. I'm 49 and my grandkids come over for the day and I need a nap. The promised child. But when she heard that God would finally give her a son, what did she do for those of you who remember the story? 
She laughed. She laughed. She thought it was a joke. Now, God's showing his sense of humor, so don't tell me he's just this grouchy old curmudgeon in the sky. God showing his sense of humor tells him that the child's name is going to be Isaac, which means he laughs. So every time, Sarah, you call that little boy in to clean his room, every time you call him in to wash his hands for supper, every time you call him in that it's time to go to bed, you're going to be reminded of the fact that you laughed when I told you you were going to have a son. Oh, Isaac. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yep, okay. Shouldn't have laughed at that one. See, Zechariah is told that the angel is there because his prayers have been heard. Confidence. Okay, my prayers have been heard. That alone should have removed any and all doubt as to whatever was to happen next. Now, once again, I say God's humor and God's grace shines through here. Because you see, when Zechariah questioned where he questioned, that was considered sin according to the law, so the dude should have died right there. This is the mistake that he didn't want to make that he makes. So this is where we see God's grace in all of this. The angel simply reinforces the fact that he had been sent from God himself when he says, I am Gabriel. Okay. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Just kind of driving it at home. Look at You prayed. Your prayer was answered. What aren't you getting here? We'll back it up and say it one more time. Now, how often have you prayed and received an answer and then doubted the answer that was brought to you? I'm not really sure that's the Lord. I've been on my face for a week and it's pretty clear that's the answer, but yeah, I don't know. How many times have we done that? Have we prayed that he would lead you and that he would direct you and that he would put you in a particular place? And when he does in such a clear way, in such a defined way, you step back and go, I'm not really sure. We all do it. Every one of us, we are so absolutely shocked when this God of creation answers our prayers. Why are you praying if you don't think he's going to answer? Just be ready for what he brings to you because Zechariah obviously wasn't. Okay? In spite of all of the evidence of his faithfulness, we get shaky and we get doubtful. See, God's grace abounds as he pushes us towards growth. He's doing the same thing for Zechariah as he pushes us towards trusting in his promises. Now, his humor here with Zechariah, I think, maybe it's just because I'm weird, but behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, if I may say this reverently, because I find humor in this, maybe it's because I'm a 49, almost 50-year-old guy, okay? He's now being sent home to a woman beyond her years without the capacity to explain what's just happened. But he needs to let this woman know that they need to make a baby. I think that's funny. (laughs) Maybe you don't. I do. I find that funny. Now, I say that reverently, but I mean, that's God's humor here. Okay, you want to doubt? I'm just going to make this a little more complicated for you. I'd like to just wonder... And I leave it with you to think about what perhaps that conversation looked like around dinner that night. She obviously knew something happened in there. I leave that for you from that point on. I only say that to say this. Real people, real time, dealing with real events in history, living out the plan of God for and in his world. 
They're not hovering two inches above the ground like they're all deified or whatever. They're just real people, broken clay pots, trying to figure it out, going about the day-to-day routines of life, the mundane and the simple. And God breaks in. He breaks in at that moment and he uses them for his purposes and for his plan to move everything forward. He is not done with us. He is not done with this world. Your age does not define your usefulness in the plan of God, whether you are old or whether you are young. Your obedience to what he is calling you to do is what defines you. That's what defines you. To live life for the express purpose, as I have said, to arrive safely at death and then onward to heaven to play harps on a cloud is not what God's people are called to do. There's nothing in the scriptures that tell us that that's what we ought to be looking for. Although that's the end game. Don't get me wrong. You know what my email address is. If you want to send an email, that's okay. My point is, is we have work to do here. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. You see, the Christmas story, which is our story because it is his story, ought to prove all of that for us, you see. God broke into our time and he broke into our space as the worship team comes up. He did this in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the start of the story. Zechariah, you're going to give us a son. He's going to herald this other one. The son of Mary, and so it was thought, also the son of Joseph. But you see, in the fullness of time, as Paul tells us, in order to free us from our exile, the exile that the people of Israel weren't quite getting their hands around, it's the exile in sin and separation from God, which we had all inherited from Adam. Not so we could get out of here, but rather so that we could be his people for his world. Freed from the bondage of sin because we have walked in the covenant promise that Jesus is our savior. When we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord in my life because you already are Lord in my life, I will bow the knee now to that truth. We begin to walk in that. We understand that we are living out his will day by day until he comes. You see, Zechariah's boy would be the herald for this coming king. He and his wife were childless only until the time was right for God to bring about his plans and purposes. And that still strikes me. Even when I was going over my notes last night, that strikes me. And I don't think it's something that we should miss. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, which I pray you do, And if we believe in the providence of God and the goodness of God, Elizabeth wasn't barren. Elizabeth just wasn't ready. Because in the purposes and the plans of God and in the sovereignty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the time was not yet right. And that's something we need to understand. We are active agents in God's plan but he doesn't move outside of his time. That's why prayer is so very important. It's also very comforting for us to know that our times and our seasons are in his hands. So whether this finds you at 12 or 13 years old, or whether this finds you in your mid-80s, our times and our seasons are in his hands. And his promises never fail. He will bring to pass everything he says, which means he will direct your steps, be faithful in prayer, be obedient to respond and follow. 
because that's just what Zechariah and that's just what Elizabeth did. The question is, is will you and whatever it is God is calling you to do, be obedient, respond, and follow? Why don't we stand? If I could have those who are part of the prayer teams, if you would just take your places, please. And Father, as we close out this time, I know that once this last song is done, um, we have a space where we can come and we can worship a little bit beyond the end of this service. I pray that for those who really need to just kind of be in your presence today, Lord, that they would just be encouraged to stay here too come down here to the front and just allow the worship team to minister to them because the Holy Spirit just wants us to be at rest before you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here this morning that is in need of prayer, especially this time of year, whatever you're struggling with, I just want to challenge you. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to covenant with you before God who hears our prayer. Step out, if you would ask one of the elders or the deacons to pray with you.